Welcome to the MFA Made for Agriculture podcast. Here are your hosts, Adam Jones and Cameron Horine. All right, folks. Well, welcome to another episode of the Made for Agriculture podcast. Uh, my name's Adam Jones. And I'm Cameron Horine. And today we're going to talk a little bit about weed control. I've been rained on, I've been snowed on, and I've manned a barbecue grill in the past week uh, so we can guarantee that it's spring outside. We need to be thinking about weed control, and before long, the small children will be stopping alongside of the road uh, to pick bouquets of henbit for their mothers. Um, so uh, we need to talk about weed control. And so today we've got uh, Dr. Jason Warrick here with us, uh, Vice President of Sales and Agronomy with MFA. You want to give us give us the thirty second uh, Jason Weirk background here? Well, thanks, Adam. Thanks, Cameron. Glad to be here today. Um, been in my role uh, with MFA here for about 10 years and uh, was prior to this role was a director of agronomy. Did a lot of work with our agronomy team, crop track, nutri track team. Uh, got my PhD at Mississippi State in weed science. Got my master's at Oklahoma State in weed science and uh, lived and breathed that world for, for several years. Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, I think what we want to kind of cover today are, are some of the we want to talk a little bit about burn down um, because that's kind of the time of year we're in. It's kind of on everybody's mind. Um, you know, we've got higher commodity prices this year. Uh, in theory, what what we're gonna what we're gonna produce is actually worth something, and so we need to be thinking about weed control. And so it's kind of that time of year. So that's why I want to try to cover. So I think just to kind of jump into it, what's the goal of kind of our burn down treatment or our, that first chemical pass? And and I think in in most instance here, we're talking about kind of a corn or soybean. Uh, system. What's kind of a, what's the overall goal of that first pass across the field? Well, I think there's a, there's several goals that we got to keep in mind, uh, Adam. When we think about weed control and that burn down pass, the first one is being start clean, stay clean. I think you've heard many university folks or company folks talking about start clean, stay clean, and really when we think about that burn down, is controlling those winter annual weeds that are out there at the time and applying a pre merge herbicide to keep you know, that next flush of weeds from coming up. Mm-hmm. When we think about the burn down application, we have a lot more tools in our toolbox, if you will. And, and what I mean by that is I have the 240s, the dicambas, the, the non-selectives, the gramoxone types, um, sharpened type products that are out there that um, we can apply pre-plant or in that burn down application to control some of those tough control weeds. You know, your giant ragweed, your mare's tail, yep. in bits, wild garlic, uh, and some mm-hmm. of your annual your grasses that are out there as well. So I think that the burn down is the, is the application to really, um, you have all the tools in your toolbox prior to the seed going in the ground. Yeah. And that's the main goal is, is to get that field clean and ready and, and prepped for those, those weeds that are out there. Well, let's jump into that just a little bit. So when you're, when you're out there maybe scouting prior to, to line up this application or to firing up the sprayer, um, you know, you mentioned some of those products to be used. What, what do you see out there is, I mean, obviously I don't, I don't think you're going to tell me there's anything that, that just works as a blanket treatment, but, but what do you see out there that kind of concerns you that makes you kind of maybe take it to the next level as far as, as hitting it with herbicide? Well, Adam, I would say that when I think of a weed control program, that really starts when the, the pass of the combine goes through the field. Yeah. So as, as we're, let's, let's back up and not necessarily just focus on the burn down, but we think sure. about developing a herbicide program for year-round success, whether you have cover crops or don't have cover crops, we have those tools to be able to fit into that program. So a lot of our winter annual weeds, our giant ragweed, mare's tail, um, or our mare's tail piece, that they, they actually are, are there in, in the fall. You know, when the combine gets done going through the field, you can go out there and scout through the field and see those that are out there. And really some of our fall applied applications have, have proven to be very good um, to control some of these broadleaf weeds that are out there. Uh-huh. Uh, when I think about um, 
you know, the burn down piece of that in the broad spectrum um, applications, you know, usually you're going to have a grass type product, whether it be Roundup uh, or Gramoxone, um, Select if you need to be, the Clethodims or Sethoxidims of the world mm-hmm. um, are definitely options that are out there. Um, but for a blanket treatment, there's not one. Sure. So it really depends on what trait uh, beans or corn you're going to, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and what that long-term goal uh, for that producer is. Yeah. Right. And, and so um, I think another thing that we should probably kind of touch on would be with that first pass, what are we looking for from a timing perspective? I know you've already mentioned fall applications and, and how those might play mm-hmm. if, you, if you got a lot of mare's tail issues or something like that. But like what is too early what is too late because that's always you know uh presumably this is a rabbit hole but presumably we're putting some kind of uh you know residual herbicide in there with it and so you know we want we want that to last through the early parts of our our cash crop season and so it's, it's always kind of a challenge looking at it but like well i see the weeds are green you know when do i go out there and actually make that pass well adam if i could tell you exactly when a herbicide is going to play out in the environment um, the exact date um, I, would, I would be very well off and probably wouldn't be sitting where I am today. <laughs> what I would say is that there are some general characteristics that, that go into play when we think about timing of those burnout applications and putting out that first shot of residual. That first shot of residual, you know, depending on the mode of action, the characteristics on, you know, how tightly bound to the soil it is and or how much rain you get. How warm is the soil? What's the environment like? Is, is the sun beating down on it? Did it get incorporated into the soil how many days after application? So those are all factors that go into determining um, how long that, that residual is going to last in that soil. Now, we know that dicamba and 240, does, they do have a little bit of residual in the soil. And they can last, you know, a week to, to two weeks in the soil and provide some suppression and control of some weeds at that point. When we start thinking about some of our chlorocetamides, our group 15 herbicides, the duals, the outlooks type of, type of products, that are out there, you know, applied at this time frame, you know, you might get 60 days out of that. But as, a, as the season progresses and you get warmer days, your microbes and, and soil activity starts to, to increase mm-hmm. um, as that moisture or as that temperature increases in the soil, those, they get more active. And what you see is that herbicide starts to degrade faster in that environment when our conditions are more favorable for our weeds to grow as well. So at, at this point, we're sitting here in March, uh, the middle of March, 1st of April, and you know, we got guys going out there putting out that first shot of residual, and they can expect to see, you know, you know, anywhere from three to eight weeks residual from some of those. You know, our general recommendation, though, Adam, is, is really that four to six weeks. I, I prefer yeah. closer to that four weeks on an overlapping residual. So the goal of an overlapping residual, I'm sure we'll talk about it uh, a little bit later, but is really to get a second residual out there prior to the first residual playing out, before that first residual not being effective control those, those weeds that are out there. Okay. Okay. And so at this point, I guess the kind of the way I'm interpreting that is, is you're saying you're, you're less concerned about the green stuff that's out there and more concerned about kind of how long that residual is going to last. So at this point, we may be okay waiting a little bit. It just kind of depends. Well, if I, if, if that's, that's not what I meant to say. So if that's the way you took it, I apologize. <laughs> um, when I start thinking about the, the mare's tail that's out there and some of those other weeds, the bigger it gets, the tougher it's going to be control. Sure. And the more costly it can be to control. Okay. It's easier to control when it's smaller and yeah. or before it comes out of the ground. Okay. Um, so as as that mare's tail and, and they start bolting or, or growing and elongating and getting tall, the tougher it is going to be control. The tougher it is to get penetration down through the canopy as you get a matted grass or hen bit, um, the tougher it is to control those weeds. So I'm not saying wait or don't wait. I'm just sure. saying that it, there's a there's a good and a bad yeah. when you look at that. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So when you think about that, um, especially adding residual, is there a difference on whether or not you should have that residual based on whether or not you're going to be in a no-till situation or if you're going to be in a conventional till situation? So it depends on a burn down uh, application. So it depends on what your field um, situation is like. So if I'm putting out a um, you know a, a PPO herbicide with a group 15, you know you know you think of like your your fierce authorities, Sonics, you know those type of products. Right. I'm not going to incorporate those. I don't want those incorporated. So if I'm going to make a tillage application or a tillage pass across that field, I would want to make that herbicide application after after that tillage application. And the reason why, Cameron, is really around uniform distribution throughout that soil. We know if we go back to the Trefland days, the Prowl days, we would have to incorporate within 24 hours that application due to photo degradation of the herbicide. We also know that if I want to incorporate that at, at four inches or at two inches, I have to work that field down to four inches to get that incorporation in that, that two inches there. Our, our driver weeds, we think about our driver weeds probably being water hemp would be the one that most everybody's concerned about. Sure. Water hemp or, you know, pigweed species in general, they're going to germinate in that, you know, half to three-quarter inch um, part of the soil. And that's where they're going to be. So you want that herbicide to be laying in that top one inch of the soil so we can get that uh, uptake through the roots of that residual herbicide to go ahead and knock those out. So it, it really depends. It's going to be on a field-by-field basis Cameron on, on what the well do I have ruts am I going to work it and the the most uniform time or most uniform application is out of the back of a sprayer that's when that herbicide is laying out there at the most uniform time across that field as soon as I drive my tracks through the field or I put a cultivator in the field um, I have a potential to, to leaving some some spots out there without a herbicide or incorporating it too deep and or too shallow right so I guess I guess we you know we can kind of transition you know we've talked about with tillage and timing of that but let's let's talk about cover crops cover crops are becoming a big you know a lot more people are doing it there's a lot of programs out there for guys to utilize cover crops and stuff so let's maybe talk about the timing of burn down those and for those um, so kind of what is your thoughts of what is a good timing for burning down um, you know I, I'm sure it's field by field basis and stuff but kind of Give your thoughts on that. Well, there's there's a lot of there's you're right. There's a lot of different um, thought processes out there when it comes to cover crops and and terminations of cover crops. It, it also there's a lot of different um, species mixes that are out there. So that's going to that, that really plays a variance in what we're trying to do here with the goal of cover crops. The goal of cover crops to have several, but it really is around soil erosion and keeping nutrients in the field, but also um, suppressing some of the weeds that are out there. Now, do they suppress some of the weeds that are out there? Absolutely. Uh, we, we've seen that time and time again that it does reduce the abundance of weeds or the number, number of weeds that are out there, um, but it does come with some headaches. And I think that's the question you're trying to drive to is around the headaches that come with cover crops. And one of the terms I use is early and often. Um, kill them early and often, terminate those. We know we have to have some specific growth to get the benefits of that root, root penetration into the ground to help recycle some of those nutrients that are down deep. We know that, um, well, first off, let me clarify this as a weed scientist, Italian ryegrass is a no-no <laughs> Marshall ryegrass. I just have to clarify that. Yeah. Uh, a lot, a lot of I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. <laughs> cereal rye is one that's been pretty common here. Um, cereal rye, wheat, triticale, those have been pretty common, you know, and as that starts to grow, the tougher it is to control as well. You know, if you think about having to switch to a gramoxone application, you've got... Um, You've got issues with that as well from an applicator standpoint and some of the regulations that are there handling gramoxone. 
uh, versus being able to use a, a selective or a non-selective like Roundup mm-hmm. and being able to control those weeds or those not weeds, but those cover crops that are out there. And so I think that, you know, I like to start that process 30 to 45 days, 30 days prior to that planting window. So if I'm wanting to plant May 15th, April 15th, I need to start my planting process and get that application out there. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, there's been a lot, there's been a lot of folks kind of have some disasters with, with late terminated cover mm-hmm. crops. You know, we, we terminate them when they're too tall and they create a mat on the soil surface and we can't, can't get it dried out at that point. So, but I, I think there is kind of a fine line between, you know, uh, completely planting green which means like you haven't sprayed anything on that field yet i don't think that it's, it's not a one or the other so I, I mean it seems like we have a window and i'll let you comment on this too for sure but it seems like we have a window early like maybe right now um where we could spray some residual on one of those cover crop fields and um and maybe not even terminate the actual cover crop but but still take care of the broadleafs that are out there and get a an overlapping residual applied I mean, you, you can do that if you're willing to make that application across that field. Again, that just adds cost to the producer Sure. Uh, when, when we're doing that. And some producers are more apt to do that versus the other. A lot of our producers that that are are, are doing this, Adam, really are wanting to do it in one, one shot, one pass yeah. through there. We do have those guys that are willing to make that application of residual and then come back. But I would say is there, there are headaches either way. There's headaches plant going into a... Um, a green field versus a field that you've already terminated and you get mm-hmm. the, the wraps around the spindles and the closing yeah. wheels and you have trouble getting it into the ground sometimes depending on our great uh, midwest or midwest um, weather conditions <laughs> um, but what yep. i would say is is that we do see some issues sometimes with um, our herbicides getting tied up in that cover crop depending yep. on the mat mm-hmm. that's out there and penetrating getting the soil um it's out the soil to make sure it's active we have seen some issues with that. Is it widespread? No. Um, timing that in front of a rain could be uh, optimal. Okay. Uh, you know, and we, if we put that out there, that herbicide out there, and we do get the opportunity to get a rain close to thereafter, that it can get incorporated in the soil through a, through a light rain. Um, but when we think about cover crops, there's there's more benefits than there are negatives when it comes to that. It's it's just another management tool yeah. um, to to manage the acre and manage the the footprint that we're having yeah and just like what you said i mean and we, we move on from this after after but um it's just it's all management changes you know it's just it's just something different is all it is man we need to you know set a planter up different so it doesn't wrap and stuff like i mean it's just it's just different you mm-hmm. know and so we got to look at it that way and, and manage it that way but anyway so another thing i wanted to talk about is i guess or just kind of ask is We've got such good weed control systems, it seems like, in, in especially soybeans right now, and obviously that's where we've had weed issues in the past. Um, is there one of those systems that you find superior for, you know, like we mentioned that uh, water hemp is kind of our big one, and, and palmer in certain places, but uh, but water hemp across most of most of the Midwest. Is there one of those systems that kind of stands out, and you're like, yep, this is better for, for weed control, Is it or is it more like how we use those herbicide resistant systems so are you talking necessarily around are you talking about the traits so yeah you're talking about yeah. enlist versus extend yep. versus yep liberty, liberty versus or whatever initial. yep yep Un- unfortunately adam i would say that we're burning through those relatively fast yep. um we've seen documented resistance to to all of the above now so we've, mm-hmm. we've seen glufosinate or liberty resistant now confirmed um we've yep. seen you know dicamba resistance and and enlist or 2,4-D mm-hmm. uh, resistance so uh, any of these technologies that are out there are 
are a tool, but they're not a standalone tool. Sure. So to say one's better than the other, I can't say that. What I would say is if it's working, you better change it because you're not going to be able to use that forever. <laughs> um, we've we've seen that time and time again um, on, on systems that have worked and systems that have failed. Mm-hmm. And what I would say is that we need to treat them all almost as conventional, if you will, and use those over-the-top applications sure. of 240E, Dicamba, and or um, glufosinate really as a tool that on the weeds that escape uh, through mm-hmm. our residual programs. Okay. What we have seen, and you mentioned it earlier, um, with the, the down in, in our footprint specifically, our producer's checkbook's been hurting pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, we've seen floods, we've seen droughts, we've seen uh, low commodity prices. We've seen the reduction in the use of, of residual herbicides as well. That has been apparent um, um, to our locations uh, on the carryover of some residual herbicides. We've seen the adoption of maybe a new technology in list, probably a little too much. Um, not the adoption of it, but the abuse of it. How about that? Right. And, and what we've seen is if they've gone away from the fundamentals that we've learned through the era of Roundup Ready resistance or Roundup resistance, you know, in the late 2000s, early 2010s. And we've seen the over-adoption or the abuse of those technologies. And, and quite honestly, we're, we're headed down that path again, Adam. Yeah. Um, Cameron, I know you've walked a lot of fields and seen some of those as well. And it's not just soybeans. You think about the HPPD systems that are in, in corn. We think about losing Callisto, um, those type of products in corn. We don't have a lot of options left in corn either. So it's not just limited to soybeans, um, but it is, it is widespread across um any of the corn soybean producing areas that are out there, uh, we have these issues. So really it's about overlapping residuals and and putting those, you know, effective modes of action out there. Now we know that we have ALS resistance, uh, but we know that ALS can still provide control of a certain set of species that are out there. So it's still a good option for us. Uh, The PPO side of things, you know, your flumioxazin, sulfentrazone type products, um, those type products, we know they provide good residual activity up front and overlapping that, you know, that 30 to 40 days later provide with a group 15 provides a good option for us, Adam. Um, what I would say though is without those technologies, we would still be burning our soybeans, be using the Cobras, the, oh, yeah. right. the, the, the Flex Stars, you know, those yeah. the blazers of the world with crop oil and, you know, we're just burning the P-Wadens out of our, our soybeans and um, nobody likes to see that. Um, but nobody likes to see the, the water hemp or the giant ragweed poking their head through the, the camp at the end of the year either. So Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, probably my favorite thing that, that you said out of that whole thing was uh, if, you're, if you're using something and it's working, you need to switch, which is, which is not kind of common. It's not something that normally goes through a grower's head. You know, it's like, hey, if I've got something that's working, I'm going to stick with it. So kind of along that same line, especially like in a no-till situation, you know, we're not doing tillage to terminate all those winter annual weeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a way that we can kind of utilize some of those herbicide programs to, to change the herbicide that we're doing that burn down with every spring? Or should we be looking at that? You know, a lot of times we use 240 and dicamba. We use the auxins mm-hmm. almost every year to burn down. Should we be alternating those? Or is there, a, is there kind of something you recommend as far as changing it up from year to year through that rotation? Well, there are options out there. You know, is... is but there's not a lot. Yeah. Uh, I see one of the questions here in a minute is new technologies coming out of the pipeline. Well, there's not any. So yeah. <laughs> I'll answer that question for you. Right now. Um, what I would say is, you know, you think about the no-till situation. We don't have that tillage pass. That's an option for us. Right. That does provide an advantage and disadvantage. Sure. The advantage is I don't have to worry about disturbing the soil that's out there and causing more weeds to germinate. 
Um, but I also have to worry about the weeds that are there because I don't have another option that's out there. So we do have some options that are out there, you know, whether it be Gramoxone, but you know, a lot of folks don't like to apply Gramoxone. There are restrictions yeah. on that from an application standpoint on who and how and, and how that works. It is very dangerous uh, to operate and spray that product. Uh, Liberty uh, or glufosinate is an option uh, in that burn down market if you can get your hands on any. Um, Roundup is an option as well. And then you got your PPO, some of your burners um, that are out there as well. So your Sharpens, um, those type of products that yeah. can provide some control okay. of those weeds that are out there. If I'm in a no-till situation, I'm going to start sooner than I am if I'm going to be in a conventional till. Yeah. And that's that, that takes more of a management takes more mm -hmm. management than probably conventional tools because you know, it's sure. not that you don't have that tool in your toolbox yeah mm -hmm. um yeah and if all of a sudden you're three three or four mm -hmm. weeks late you're you're yep. real late at that point <laughs> yeah so. you look at some of the planning restrictions that are out there adam you know following if you're going to an enlist and you're following a, a, a camp application there are restrictions that are out yep. there yep. so we have to follow the label and some of those herbicides that i mentioned actually if you take mix in with certain products have a a, a different restriction than if they're applied alone okay and or within a week apart so um, we always have to make sure we follow that label and make sure we're following those restrictions and maybe some of the issues that may follow that. Yeah. Yeah, and that brings up a good point is of finding somebody with, with experience, experience in the in the chemical world and, and knows those labels and um, just because it can get very confusing, especially with, you know, a lot of these products are off-label or off-patent now. So we've got, you know, 15 different generics on the market. They all have a different trade name. It can get pretty darn confusing when you're trying to to look at those labels and, and figure out exactly what's in it and, and what the restrictions are. Mm -hmm. So, well, you you jump the gun on me, but um, so uh, what kind of what is the next step? Like I said, you mentioned that there's there's holes in our system, right? So you know you know we've talked a little bit about cover crops, we've talked about a little bit about weed resistance and and stuff that's going on out there. You know, you mentioned there's nothing else coming down the pipeline, which is which is not what most folks want to hear. You know, they, everybody wants to know that there's some new roundup that's going to be out next year. But like, what I guess what is kind of the next step, and and how long are the technologies that we have currently going to last? Well, I mean, sit here and say that there's not new technologies. I'm sure there are. Sure. We, well, I've heard of a few. We've yeah. seen a few that potentially come out, but the number are going to be a silver bullet. Right. Um, we don't have another roundup, and or liberty coming out. We've also heard, you know. We've burned through two in, you know, in the last eight years. You know, you think about the extend system and enlist. Is it still functional mm -hmm. today? Yes. But we also see the writing on the wall that if we continue down the path we are, we're not going to have it either. So I don't know that we're going to have another system like we have. Um, we're going to have to manage this with the tools we do have currently. Yeah. Um, but if I think about the holes, if I think about the future Adam, it, it doesn't look good for weed control if we continue down the path we are. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to paint a, you know, a, a doom and gloom picture here, um, just to facts are the facts. And some of these products we're talking about have been around for a long time. You think about Dual, you think about Outlook, you think about um, the ALS chemistry, you know, and the, use, and the different uses that, that it's had. And, and utilizing those, those systems or those products to fill in the gaps that we have from our over-the-top applications. It's really going to it's really going to drive to drive our use to the residual herbicides, and that's 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 the key to all of this. Yeah, right. Right. The key is residual herbicides controlling the seed, not the weed. Yep. Um, you know, making sure we get it before it even comes out of the ground. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you, I mean, look back to some of the things that you know you mentioned earlier. You know, tillage, and a lot of times we're just redisturbing that 
the weed seed bed, just like you're disturbing the, the crop seed bed. And you're, you know, we don't do deep tillage anymore, which is a good thing. Don't get me wrong, but you know, we're not, we're not inverting that top layer of soil and, and really burying those weed seeds. We're just, you know, mixing them up and throwing them out there where they're going to germinate again. And so, um, I think it's just, yeah, it's a, certainly a systems systems approach when we, when we look to, to weed control. So is there anything weather wise that you're seeing this year, uh, over other years that, that um, has you worried or something different going into 21 that, that, that you think folks ought to be kind of looking out for um, a change to their system or anything like that? Again, Adam, I'll refer back to my comment earlier. If I could predict the weather, what's going to happen? <laughs> I think a weatherman could be right, you know, be right 20% of the time and still keep his job. He's about the only yeah, person I know that can do that. For sure. And you think back to, you know, 18, 19 and the flood and the drought and different things we've had and, and do that. What I would say is that there are different factors that influence that. So as I mentioned earlier, you know, as a, as a soil temperature and the environment starts to warm up, the, 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 our herbicides don't last as long as far as residuals. Um, what I would say, if it stays, continues to stay wet, we can't get into the field and those weeds start to grow even get bigger on us, we may have to change our herbicide program. Mm-hmm. We may have to go down, down the path of using a Sharpen or um, a different type of PPO product or Liberty or or dicamba or 2,4-D on that burn down time time frame. Um, you know the weather, whether it's in the spring or, or summer, always plays an influence in what goes along that tank. Whether it be um, an NIS, a crop oil, a sticker, a drift agent, um, whatever it may be, there's always in the back of your mind you always have to know what the weather and the environment is on how to control the weeds that are out there. If if it's cold, those plants aren't actively growing, and you're putting out a contact herbicide. You're probably, or you know, you you may control what's there, but it's not um, going to do the best job. If you're putting out a, a, a translocated herbicide or, um, or systemic herbicide, you know, and it's not actively growing, you're probably not going to see very good control. So those factors all play into to making a proper herbicide recommendation. Okay, well, let's jump to soybeans because usually that's kind of the the harder crop in this rotation that, that we were running throughout most of the Midwest to control weeds in. Um, just, we don't have the, the herbicide options. Can you talk a little bit about, um, planting population, row width, and some of the factors that, and, and how that can affect our weed control system as we go through the season? You bet. So I think you're referring to the closer the row width or the closer, the sooner we get to canopy, the less amount of weeds uh, potentially we have. So the faster we get that row closure, um, or, or stop that sunlight from hitting the ground and allowing those weeds to poke, poke through that canopy. What I would say is, yes, we see that. We see that the faster, the, the narrow the rows, um, we see canopy faster. That is 100% true. What I would also say, though, is that I, as I've walked through the fields for the past several years, is our drilled soybeans or our narrow-road soybeans, they look clean that July-August time frame. Okay. Well, then we get into senescence there, and we start dropping those leaves off of our soybeans, and all of a sudden you start seeing weeds poke through the canopy. So, really, twofold question, twofold answer here. Yeah. Yes, we can suppress the weeds that are out there by getting into canopy faster. Mm-hmm. It is a tool in our toolbox to help reduce the weed seed bank, if you will, because we know that the weeds that are suppressed in that canopy that don't get you know five, six, seven feet tall probably not producing the same amount of seeds um, that those other ones would. Mm -hmm. But what I would say is that that grilled beans, you know, if we're doing road scouting, if you will, that flyby scouting, and we're not getting out there and walking those fields, 
the producer may be sorely disappointed when he goes out there with his combine in October. What, what he'll probably see or might see is he goes out there that June time frame and says, I don't have any weeds. We're going to use canopy. I don't need to put out another sort of residual. I don't need to make another herbicide application. What he doesn't see is that below that canopy, yes, we're blocking the sunlight and we're keeping those that water hemp and some of those other weeds as a spindly um, nuisance underneath that canopy. We may not see it. And those loot weeds fall off and then shoot right through that canopy and produce the seed, and then we're there for the next year. Yeah. So really, the whole whole conversation on this is, is yes, that is a tool to help reduce the amount of, of weeds that are out there and can and stops help reduce some of the seed production that those plants do. What I would say is it doesn't negate or doesn't um, cut back on that second herbicide application to put a sure. residual out there that overlap residuals you've heard many people talk about throughout the industry. Um, it is a tool to help yeah. get us there. Yeah. And if you think about, um, you know, get into a hot, dry year, and uh, sometimes we don't reach canopy on 30-inch rows for a while. Yeah. We've seen some of our test spots, Cameron. Yep. It, it takes a while for us to get that row closure and that canopy. I'm sure same same answer that you just gave, essentially, but, you know, the popular thing now seems to be cutting soybean population, and so I, I assume there's a there's a break over there, too, where you're, you're more worried about crop canopy than you are you know, grain product, you know, can produce a lot of grain, but if it doesn't ever canopy and we've got weed control issues the whole year, then what's your, what's your kind of take on that? Well, when I come, when it comes to population on soybeans, there's so many different factors that go into determining what population you're going to recommend to put on that field, being on the soil type, environment, time of the year, and conditions that are out there. And so I, I'd really hate to make a blanket recommendation that says, hey, this is where your population needs to be to help control weeds. I do know that Bill Weeble, the university, and, and several other universities have done a lot of work over the years looking at soybean population, you know, at seeding versus what your final stand is. And I think that if we look at some of that seeding population, you know, if we look at seed treatments, fungicide, insecticide packages are there versus non, there's a lot of different factors that go into what our final population is. Mm-hmm. And that's really what we're trying to drive to is that final population. And I just don't have that information in front of me. I know that, uh, like I said, Dr. Weeble, uh, the University of Missouri has done a lot of that work, um, Adam, but really... Um, when you take weeds out of it, that's the information. We need, to, we need to be projecting or looking for that top crop. Yeah. And, and what are the factors that do that? And starting with a good stand, a good healthy stand, is, is part of that. Um, you, you hear people talk about reducing population um, and doing different things, and, but what you don't hear about is sometimes when that population <laughs> drops so low, yeah. they're, not, they're not talking so much about it. So mm-hmm. I think good agronomics and good, sure. good data that uh, provide those facts. Um, again, like I said, that... We can we can publish that data. We have that data from the University of Missouri there. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it, you're exactly right. It's it's just it's not as simple as <laughs> it's not as simple as we just continue to drop the population and everything's fine. There's there's kind of a give and take there. And and yeah, nobody's interviewing the guy that cut his population to sixty thousand and has a field full of weeds. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> but anyway, uh, what else what else are we missing uh, as we kind of start to wrap this up today? What I mean, are there um, we talked a little bit about kind of what's going on in the future and, and kind of how important overlapping residuals are. Is there anything we didn't hit on that, that you really kind of wanted to, to drive home to folks? So one thing I was going to say is, you know, we we now have ExtendFlex soybeans and we've had E3 soybeans. So we have mm-hmm. a three, three mode of action trait soybeans. You know, they're, they are talking about working on HT4, we'll just call them HT4 soybeans, where then you'll have, you know, Roundup, Liberty, Extend, and 2,4-D all together. And I think really 
one thing that we just need to make sure we clarify is is and like we've talked about here is in the E3 and the Extend that we already have. We've already seen problems with 24D and Extend and um, with resistance on that. And so if we get forward to HT4 soybeans, that's not all of a sudden going to fix everything. We're still using those four herbicides that we have. You're just going to be able to use them all together. But we still need to make sure that we are utilizing overlapping residuals and stuff. And I think, I think that's something we just need to kind of make sure people understand is that, yeah, once we get HD4 soybeans, our problems aren't going to go away. We're still going to have those same problems because we're still using the same mode of actions. So it's something to, we need to really be thinking about now as we are moving forward is making sure that we have a good understanding of how to control the weeds now. Couldn't have said it better myself, Cameron. <laughs> I would say you asking me on, on one of the things that, you know, we've got to do better and and that's just been neighborly. We have a lot of good folks out there that do make good applications and, and MFA included. We also have some folks probably that make um, applications when they shouldn't be made, whether it be Enlist and or Dicamba or Extend Max, um, those in those trades. And we need to talk and communicate with our neighbors and, and do the best we can to do what's right. And I think that's that's the key takeaway. We know that some of these technologies cause a lot of heartache um, for a lot of folks. Um, but do know that uh, we need need to be good neighbors and, and, and talk and, and do what's right, you know, with what the label says. And I think some of the label changes this year um, are, are to help. And, um, yeah, it's, it's added some cost um, to our growers, but uh, help reduce some of that uh, um, off-target movement, if you will, and some of the sure. products that are out there. Well, we usually call it shameless plug time. Is there anything you want to kind of point folks to that are kind of a good resource out there for uh, for weed control options? Somebody specific you want to throw to, a social media account, anything like that before we wrap it up? Shameless plug. Um, you know, we have a lot of good folks that work throughout our, our territory with us on our agron- local agronomist and or, or district agronomists that are, are there to help provide, um, you know, recommendations and tools for our growers. Our managers are some of the best in the business. You know, we think about some of the location managers have been in the business for 20, 30, 40 years. You know, you think about some of the longevity yep. of some of our managers. They they were there when some of those products I mentioned were first launched. <laughs> and uh, so there, there's a wealth of knowledge that's out there. And that's something we can't be afraid to do is ask for help, ask for guidance. Um, I have those folks in my life that I call. And uh, yep. Everybody needs to have those folks that are out there. So mm-hmm. um, just reach out to your local MFA if uh, they don't know. Uh, if they don't have the answers, Adam, I know that they know the folks that can. They and, sure do. Uh, most folks have my cell phone number. So. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, they definitely do. Well, Dr. Eric, this has been really fun. We appreciate you jumping on here. Absolutely. Um, it's, a, it's a fun time of year with the anticipation of everybody getting – Getting, like we said, crops in the ground that are actually worth something this year. And, and so we appreciate you jumping on here. Yeah, and I know this isn't your day-to-day life anymore, but I know that this is still in your heart. So this is fun. Thanks, Cameron. <laughs> Thanks, folks. Thanks for listening to Made for Agriculture. Email comments and questions to podcast at mfa-inc.com.